Hello and welcome to the Arc of E podcast. My name is Noah and I am here once again with a very special guest. I, I brought it back. I brought it back to special guests because it's been a while. I appreciate so, uh, it. Yeah, so it's been a little so, time. So there you go. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's Sunshine Mayfield once again. You saw it in the episode description. Say hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> Thank you. Um, apologies up front. Uh, we've been a little lacking on the podcast front as we adjust to uh, life in the midst of a pandemic uh you've still been working regularly as has gavin i want to point that out to people uh so that's part of why gavin and i have not been able to get on mic recently he's still working pretty much a regular schedule but he's the only guy on staff so he's he's taking you know he's got a lot to do he's a busy man he's a busy guy yeah but we we are back finally and uh i will tease this hopefully this will be a beacon out to these guys but uh mr tim niles the often referenced but never actually heard tim niles uh just recently set up his own little in-house studio so we should be hearing from him soon we'll talk about oh great what we've been watching in quarantine etc and uh the also often mentioned and never heard Mr. Barham Williams uh, should be joining me on the cast soon. So you're going to be hearing some new voices since uh, since Gavin's tied up the moment. But Mayfield was kind enough to get on the phone with me. And, and what are we going to talk about today? Uh, we are going to talk about uh, directors in their the top three, our top five movies, but their third entry in life. Because we're, we're wrapping up our third year. We at are. The Arc of yes. e. May f- and May first will be our three year anniversary and the kickoff of year four here at the Arc of E. Uh, so yeah, this is kind of a a look back and maybe a look forward. We'll be like, hey, these directors, you know, the third one was great, but look what they went on to do. So see, and uh, for me, I did a lot of the third one is arguably their best. Yes, I in some cases that's definitely what I went with in some cases it's like an interesting pick in the context of their entire filmography so but anyways yeah so we're doing third outings and I'm sure there may be some vagaries with like TV movies as your your opener yeah, or maybe I things didn't that count any properly TV released yep. uh, yeah I tried to steer away from those I have some honorable mentions that are kind of questionable uh, but yeah so that that's the idea uh, before we kick things off any any particular quarantine rewatches or new stuff you've been going through anything you've been binging that you want to shout out to people yeah watching a lot of the west wing currently because okay. uh, i've never gone and, through it and and you know oh, me I was, so I'm this is not a guy. rewatch this is a, a first time through correct um okay. i've made it through the first two seasons um at some point in life and then never finished all of them so i'm working my way through west wing and those um, are old school primetime TV dramas. So we're talking like 22, 24 episode seasons, correct? That's right. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and okay. I'm about, I got about halfway through season four and there's seven total seasons and uh, I'm a Sorkin guy. So it's been great. Um, speaking of Sorkin, just also watched Molly's game for the first time, his directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel less good about that. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I still have not taken. Uh, I haven't rolled the dice with Molly's game. Ooh, Do that would you make see sense. See what it, I it was, did there. It was, it's an exclusively poker movie, though. So, yeah. um, um, maybe you can answer me this. So, Michael Sarah's in it, right? He is. And isn't he basically playing Toby Maguire, though? That's that's true. That is correct. Okay. Yeah, is, he does plays, he does he, he at all try X. to affect a Toby Maguire esque persona? No, I think Sarah? I think it's uh it's Michael Sarah, but a toned down Michael Sarah. Um, okay. and he's he's in it in the front half. 
He plays Player X, based off the book Molly's Game by mm-hmm. Molly Bloom, the Olympian who went on to run a, a series of poker nights, um, but then got in, in trouble with the Russian mob and the federal government. And so he plays Player X, and Player X, based off books and based off of people's assumptions on personalities and the way that she writes about Player X, it has been hinted at that the, the, the most accurate theory is likely that that is Tobey Maguire. Um, gotcha. So, so that is kind of, yeah, that's kind of the <laughs> so gist. So take that as you will. Okay. Um, um yeah, I, so I've been doing do just a ton of rewatches. I'm going to save most of those for whatever chats I have with, uh, Tim and Barham in the future. But, uh, one like kind of recent rediscovery, uh, not rediscovery. Uh, I meant to see it last year and I didn't get to it. Uh, it's called Sword of Trust. I don't know if you're aware of this one. It's from Miss Lynn Shelton. She gave us one of the greatest mumblecore movies of all time, Hump Day, with uh, Mark Duplass. I don't know if you remember that one. Oh, I she do. Also I did, do. Uh, Your sister, sister, also with Duplass. Which is a and, that uh, is a that's a deep cut that is really yeah. solid. Um, yeah. No, I I enjoy all of her movies, so I wanted to get to it, but I just it slipped past me. Uh, it's on Showtime right now, I believe. Uh, stars Mark Marin, who most people will be familiar with uh, from his podcast work more than anything else, but he did have a show on IFC, and he's been branching more and more into acting. He was in the highest-grossing movie of last year. Um, or no, it wasn't the highest-grossing, but it was up there. He was in Joker for like two seconds. I guess people know him from that. Um, but anyways, Marin's in it. Um, John Bass. Yes, help me. Michaela the, Watkins. Uh, Michaela Watkins, but then from Workaholics, Jillian... Jillian Bell. Jillian Bell, thank you. So those are your four main main actors, and it concerns a pawn shop uh, where they are presented with a sword that may or may not prove that the South actually won the Civil War. Uh, that's kind of the kickoff to the plot, but it's a great like small slice-of-life comedy where nothing is overplayed in it, but I found it hilarious throughout. Um, just a great exercise in tone, and I, I really, really dug it. I like all of her movies, and I would highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it, that's Sword of Trust, and like I said, you can find it on Showtime right now. Uh, one thing I will mention on the TV front, and then we will kick off this top five. Uh, I just finished Devs last night. I haven't started it still, but I need <sighs> to, and I say that every day, and yes. I need to. What but I'm also an, watching a lot of Survivor, so that's fun. <laughs> okay. Yeah, maybe you could take a break from Survivor and spend the the eight hours rushing it. In like three weeks, I'm on season ten of Survivor. Jesus, Jesus. Okay, it's all on Hulu, man. Though the internet is a magnificent and terrifying place, but (laughs) yeah, Uh, Devs is also on Hulu uh, through FX exclusively on Hulu. Um, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough, and I can't say anything more about it until you've seen it. So. Go watch it so we can do an episode on it. I would love to, to chat now that it's all over. Because we're certainly not going to do an episode on Westworld. Uh, no, we will not be discussing Westworld. Uh, in the positive, uh, unless there's a huge, you know, a huge comeback in these last three episodes. But I have been thoroughly underwhelmed and unimpressed by season three, which I was incredibly hyped for. So... But luckily, there's been a lot of other good TV. Uh, Plot Against America is about to wrap up. Better Call Saul is having, like, its best season ever so far. It's incredible, as usual. Uh, There's good stuff out there. And we got some stuff coming up I'm excited about as well. Um, Did you watch Run, by the way, premiered last week? 
Uh, no, I did not. That is on the HBO. New HBO show starring Mr. Domhnall Gleeson. And, Love uh, him. Oh my gosh, Merritt Weaver. Excuse me. Uh, who's also excellent, and it is notably co-written by Miss Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh, Love that Fleabag too. Fame. So uh, that those names in and of themselves should be enough uh, to make you want to check it out. But it's the new half-hour, I guess, comedy. I haven't watched it, so I, I'm assuming there's some comedic elements. But it's also got maybe more of a heightened like action thriller aspect to it. I have no idea what to expect. Uh, but they're one episode deep so far. Also. Uh, what We Do in the Shadows, one of my favorite shows of last year. Season 2 just started. They dropped two episodes the first night. Those are available on FX, of course, which means Love they're also it. available on Hulu. So, uh, yeah, good stuff going on right now on the TV. What a front. time. What a time to be yes. alive. Yeah. Yes, truly, what a time to be alive. Uh, and anything else we want to get to before we jump into the top five? Oh, let's remind people. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, if you can go give us a five-star rating, that would be awesome because it oh, would really help that. us uh, become legit uh, reviewers for Rotten Tomatoes in the future. That's something we're working towards. We've mentioned it on other casts. Some people have taken us up on it. I have seen the numbers slowly ticking up, but we still got a long ways to go. So yeah. if, you, if you are listening, even if you're listening on a different app, uh, Spotify is awesome. We're on there now. Maybe you're listening to us there. If you have an iPhone, you have the Apple Podcast app. They threw it on there. So just, just hop over there, search us. Yeah. Give us a five star. Take all your, of thirty seconds. Get your significant other to give us a five star. Get your mother to give yeah, us a five star. Anybody that you're currently in quarantine with, um, yeah, anybody that all you're have them go with, give it a little five star. Yeah, let's just chain mail it, and then we'll we'll hit that two hundred really quick. Okay, uh, so shall we? Uh, as, as always, as is tradition, you're the guest. I'm gonna let you let you either kick it off or defer to me. It's up to you. I'm gonna kick it off. Do do it. I'm going to kick it off with Mr. Lens Flare himself. Okay. I'm going to go J.J. Abrams. His number three movie being Super 8. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you, Are you of the opinion this is the best of the Abrams filmography? Um, as I look through it, yes. Okay. Yeah, I think without I, a doubt. I, I, I've never seen Mission I Impossible. I really 3. want to disagree with you, like immediately. But tell I've me never what seen you love Mission, about Super Mission Impossible Three. You've never seen it, okay? No. Well, that is that, that your one. The giant, is, that the, is that your the giant caveat at the front of your list? Um, I think it's between MI Three, which is sad to say because it's his it's his opener, but it's a hell of a debut. Of course, he had done tons of TV beforehand, but yeah, Lost, Felicity, Alias. MI3 is a comeback for that franchise. Totally revitalized it. Got us excited for like what has been. It's now kind of regained its traction as one of the best current action franchises, um, and one of the most profitable as well. But I also I love that first Star Trek man, and I'm not a Star Trek guy at all. Yeah, but I, that movie like it. got me excited about that franchise in a way I had never been before. But man, I just L. Fanning, Kyle Chandler, super. I just I think it's charming as hell. I just really enjoy it. I think it's just kind of like it is. Uh, like quintessential, like blockbuster movie watching. It, I mean, it's what we were sold on him as, as he's the next Spielberg, and it was the most Spielbergian thing he had done up to that yeah. point, and pretty much remains the most Spielbergian thing. Yeah, so I just, I'm a huge fan of it. <coughs> um, and I, again, I, don't I get me wrong, movie. I really, I really like that movie. I haven't rewatched it as much as the other two I just mentioned. Um, and then we don't have to talk about Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, 
Yeah, that was which I, I I'm sure he would prefer just to kind of forget about. It seems and like then, he was kind of on autopilot, if you will, while making that one. So, well, and I would just I would be, since Super Eight, everything he's done, I think, has been fine to bad, right? Like I just I'm um, yeah. <laughs> Force Awakens is fine. Fair to say. Uh, Star Trek um, Into Darkness is not great, and I didn't love Rise of Skywalker. Um, just uh, for several reasons, but you know, I'm gonna get personal with it. Didn't like what he did to my boy Ryan Johnson. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much where you and I stand on it. You you can make all of those same decisions, and I would have a lot less of a problem with it if it wasn't so openly antagonistic towards the previous filmmaker. <laughs> like, yeah. It just I'm feels back. like a giant middle finger. I'm um, back in my boy which, Ryan. Though, I, I cannot wait until Rise of Skywalker is on Disney+, Plus because I do look forward to re-watching it again. Now, having kind of settled on it and like, okay, I did not enjoy that, maybe maybe I can be a little more forgiving the next time around. Probably I think my not, argument is, we'll and, and I know that, you know, what I'm about to say is very highly contested. Um, I think The Last Jedi is the best Star Wars movie. Um, I know Empire Strikes Back is definitely up there for sure. Um, but when it comes to just a general, like, does it look good? Does everything have its place? Is it just well designed? And are the details just in every crevice? I just, it's phenomenal. It is mm-hmm. truly a film. Like, it is the most deep Star Wars movie, I think. For um, sure. And so it just hurts that much more when you go watch The Rise of Skywalker to be like, oh, remember when we had The Last Jedi? Yeah. Um, and I guess I kind of look, okay, while we're talking about Super 8, I guess I kind of look forward to him stepping back from big franchise IP and doing more things like super eight and doing something where it's like, okay, clearly you're drawing on your influences and movies of this ilk, but you're still doing something original at the same time, even if it is very much like homage and very heavily influenced by those things. But super eight, I mean, predates the kind of stranger thingsification of, of pop culture, which came like several years after it actually, but it was, in some ways that kind of kick off to the 80s throwback summer blockbusters oh um, for sure for sure yeah. and, and it's nice because when you really are Mission Impossible Star Trek and Star Wars outside of Super 8 that's really all he's done um, yeah no he's only worked in big franchise IP so, and, and I, I also would be interested to see him all of a sudden scale down like a ton almost in a Ryan Johnson-esque fashion post-Last Jedi, even though Knives Out has a huge cast and a substantial budget and everything. It's, it's oh, and definitely just blew not up, a Star right? Wars like, movie. It, just, it is just... It was a, people loved it at the beginning, but it's only grown in yes. its popularity. Um, Absolutely. So I think Abr- if Abrams maybe dialed it back and did something a little more close to the vest like that, he could maybe get some, some cred back with me personally because Rise of Skywalker certainly wasn't doing it. Anyways, okay. Ryan Johnson not on my list because I think his third movie is his worst one. But other than that, um, I I agree with you there. But we've had the conversation about Looper. I mean, if that's if that's the worst movie in your resume, you're, you're, you're doing, doing pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> you're yeah. doing pretty. Because it's not bad yeah. by any means, but it is. I yeah, would argue it's all. his worst movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. What you got? My my number five. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of try and play a game with you. I don't know if it'll work out. I'm gonna give Let's you. Let's play a game. The, I'm gonna give you the first two and see if you can tell me what the third one is. Uh, so we're going back. You know how embarrassing this is gonna be if I don't get it. it. I mean, not in all cases, and some of them are pretty easy. But uh, okay, this this gentleman 
um, no longer with us, gave us Fear and Desire in 1953, followed by Killer's Kiss in 1955, and his third film from 1956 is... Um... It's all good. It's The Killing. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I, I, I gave it to you. I'm sorry. Or did you killing. not hear me? Yes. Stanley Kubrick. It is. Yes. Uh, directed by Mr. Stanley Kubrick. Co-written uh, by Mr. Jim Thompson, one of the greatest writers of Pulp Fiction ever. Uh, go read The Killer Inside Me and The Getaway if you haven't. Those are fantastic. Those would be good quarantine reads right now. Um, stars Mr. Sterling Hayden in the lead role. Uh, Joe Turkell, who I only mentioned because Kubrick didn't didn't reuse a ton of people all the time, but Turkel is here in 56, and then he's all the way as Lloyd, your friendly bartender, in The Shining in 1980. Uh, and I think he maybe is in Barry Lyndon as well, if I'm not mistaken. The Killing is um, one where people don't think of it, right? Like, people don't go to The Killing. Cause, and I think it's kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? Like, it's not necessarily the best Kubrick movie. No, um, and I, I, the reason I bring this one up is contextually in his filmography you would think he's going to have a very different trajectory based on these first three movies. Um, and notably, his next movie is Paths of Glory, which kind of cements him in a, in a different echelon of filmmakers in that era. Uh, he gets brought on to Spartacus shortly after, and then he really starts doing his own thing. you got Lolita, Strangelove, etc. Um, Dude, but The Killing is so good. Yes, so, fantastic and- movie. It basically concerns a racetrack robbery and all of the different components and how it goes down. Uh, it kind of pioneers the um, shifting narrative and different timelines going on. You've got the timestamps, which reoccur or are referenced, lovingly homaged, in another third feature, uh, which I, I left off the list because it would have been my number one, uh, Jackie Brown from Mr. Quentin Tarantino. The entire mm-hmm. like way that that robbery plays out in the third act of Jackie Brown is very killing-influenced. Um also, I guess people are familiar with some of the iconography now because of Bad Times at the El Royale, which also has a key reference to it with the Jeff Bridges character. Mm-hmm. But, man, The Killing is nice because it's just, it's a quick watch. Um, yes. But, it's, but you still get that noir, f- like, feel and grit to it that normally you have to spend, like, two hours with, I feel like. Um, yeah. But this one, it's it's quick and it goes and it's good it's good. very brisk runtime very modern like one of a very easy movie to recommend to people where it's like the pace is you're not gonna butt up against it too much it still has some very some very 50s qualities of like it's very moment to moment and you're seeing a lot of small details that maybe you would you know to keep the pace moving in a modern movie you would gloss over some of that stuff but it it all plays out perfectly, and it leads to still one of the greatest endings in the history of cinema. If you've never seen it, obviously we don't want to ruin it here. So, The Killing, total classic. Again, you you if you looked at this individually, I don't think you could necessarily make the leap to, like, this is the guy who's going to make 2001 A Space Odyssey. This no. is the guy who's going to make, you know, Clockwork Orange. But you do see that he's, he's bringing a lot of flair and individuality to an established genre but it it has the feel of like there's a real director at play here this is not a by the number like you could take this same story and put it into you know a workaday director's hands and you get a very different product that we're not even bothering to talk about now but it it holds up great movie uh that's the killing from 1956 that's my number five well Uh, done yeah you're number four all right 
Uh, you should be able to get this one uh, pretty easy. All right. Already? First film, Clerks. Okay. Second film, Mallrats. Third uh, film, the, do you know who it is, film, Noah? I'm going to take a wild guess. Um, And I'm also going to say, shamefully, this is one that did not pop in my head, but probably should definitely be in my personal top five. It's Chasing Amy it from is. Mr. Kevin Smith. It is, man. Um, in, in prime Kevin Smith era, um, this is the the f- final entry into the, the Jersey Trilogy. Um, and it's so Which, good. of course, continues to expand into the, the View Askewniverse, if you will. Yeah. But, yes. So good. Um, but to be fair, haven't watched it in probably uh, a couple of years, and so I'm curious how my lens has changed on that specific movie. Um, I think it... But it typically holds up pretty I, well. I watch, it, I watch it at least once a year. It's one of those for me. Um, so I have seen it within the last, like, 12 months. And I... You know, we kind of, you do have those thoughts when you're watching any things that could be considered somewhat prob- problematic. And at the time, there was some controversy around the idea of, you know, a, a straight white male essentially seducing or brainwashing, even though that's not the context of the movie at all, but a lesbian into a relationship and how convincing or realistic that was. Um, I, I, I think it holds up as not being particularly problematic. Again, most of the what could be controversial stuff is all put in the mouth of the Jason Lee character, uh, Banky. Who's and, meant to be a shithead. <laughs> and exactly. And so you, you kind of, it, it gets kind of a get out of jail free card, if you will, because all of the dumb stuff that you would expect somebody to say about the situation is all put in the mouth of that character who eventually comes to a realization of his own. Uh, so yeah, great movies still, I, I would say still totally holds up and yeah, arguably, that's his, one of the best third features because it's he he could have gone either way after Mallrats like a, you know huge success out of the gate with Clerks makes Mallrats total bomb do, doesn't make its money back big attempt at a studio comedy essentially that's still very much his but like and people love to this day and I do as well but to come back with Chasing Amy which is inarguably his most personal movie it feels like and that's the one that kind of broke him through and a lot of people still cling on to is like you can't ever completely write off Kevin Smith because he did give us that at one point and it still stands as one of the more honest raw and like emotional relationship movies there is that I can think of um so yeah I still stand by that one and it probably should be on my list as well yeah my number four yes uh my number four comes from 2009 okay and this this guy, he's only, he's only worked a little bit. His first movie was in 1999. It's called Being John Malkovich. Second movie was in yeah. 2002, uh, Adaptation. And then he took a while off and came back with Where the Wild Things Are. Mr. Spike, Spike Jones. Jones. Yes. Uh, of course, it's an adaptation of the, the beloved children's classic from Mr. Maurice Sendak. Uh Max Records was the lead little kid. Features the voice talents of Miss Catherine O'Hara, Forrest Whitaker, James Gandolfini, Paul Dano, Lauren Ambrose, Chris Cooper, etc. Um, goes down as probably having still the greatest teaser trailer of all time, I would argue. Um, just, and one of the best needle drops. Yes, 100%. Fantastic soundtrack from Miss uh, Karen O of the AAS. 
uh, of course, that iconic drop of Arcade Fire, uh, which was a lot of people's first exposure to them, I feel like, even though they've mm-hmm. been around for a bit. And still stands as a very niche movie that I, you and I have talked about recently because I feel like we just don't get a lot of these in general. But a little movie called Wendy came out earlier this year. Oh, um, so good. So good. <coughs> um, one, of, one of, if not my favorite movies of the year so far. And... There just aren't a lot of quote unquote kids movies for the kind of eight to twelve year old range. Where you're you're a little bit older, the emotions are getting a little more complex, you're not quite a teenager yet. You you know, you can handle some scary stuff, some bigger themes, but you're also maybe wanting a movie that doesn't pander to you or doesn't, you know, look down at you or play things safe. And where the wild things are is I imagine for a young kid, because I experienced this when I saw it in the theater, a little overwhelming because there were definitely walkouts of parents that like brought their very, very small children to this movie who were terrified by the giant furry monsters running around everywhere. It's kind of the point. Uh, that's the, that happens in the book. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I again, I think for a very particular type of kid, this would just speak to you so strongly if you saw it at the right age. But for me, who's, you know, anything kid-centric or nostalgic, and of course I loved the book when I was growing up, and I love Spike Jones. so when you told me this was happening and then you swirl together the arcade fire of it all in that trailer, I was just, I remember literally getting misty-eyed when the Warner Brothers logo came up before the movie because it was one of those where I was just like, I'm finally seeing this. I've been waiting for this, like, since the trailer dropped. Oh my god. And then it completely delivered. Uh, another one that I watch pretty much once a year, uh, and may, again, mainly because there's just not enough movies like this. Now, Wendy will be in that rotation as well. But when you need something that, like, it's just Speaks it's got to the, the inner child. Factor, it's but it ultimately it's it has moments of just like sheer joy in it. And there's so few movies that like manage to capture that. And it it's got some true like magic to it with the effects and the way he brought everything together. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite Spike Jones. I would still probably go Malkovich or maybe her. Her. Yeah. But um, but it's an incredible movie, and again, I I wish, like, give me some more stuff of this ilk. I know there's some, like, Roald Dahl adaptations in the works right now. Get, get, I, give me some I haven't some found more. a Roald Dahl adaptation that I've loved. You know what I mean? Like, I, Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think there, there still has yet to be, a like, a really, truly good one done. I don't count Willy Wonka in the same way because the, the movie is kind of its own thing at this point. Um, I mean that's the best, inarguably, and maybe the witches with Matilda. just sheer terror. Oh, I do love Matilda. What are we talking about here? There's some good ones. The recent ones have not been good, but yeah. I know they're they're doing a new version of the witches, which could be exciting. We'll see. That uh, was a yeah. creepy movie to me as well. Angelica Houston, very, <laughs> very creepy movie. Yeah. Uh, so that's my number four. Where the wild things are. Uh. And then, of course, I, I didn't. I mentioned it by name, but he takes a long time off before he comes back with her. Uh, pretty much equivalent to the same break between adaptation and wild things. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I make more movies. Spike Jones, can you do that? He's just please? busy making music videos. Yeah, some of the best music videos ever. Also, just because I feel like I didn't shout it out properly, just a workhorse one, man. One of the um, one of the most underrated James Gandolfini performances. Gets completely overlooked because it's voice only, of course. But so what good. what a departure from mm-hmm. from that guy! Great stuff. Okay, you're number three, sir. All right, no number three. 
this is the first movie. Uh, this is going to be a little controversial because I don't know if people consider this the first movie. Um, but the first movie is Nights and Weekends back in 2008. Okay. The second movie is Lady Bird in 2017. Okay. And then number three, Little Women. So from what? What, Greta what is the controversy over Nights and Weekends? Because I, I was under the impression that Lady Bird was her debut. I think she co-directed. Okay. Nights and Weekends with okay. Joe Swanberg. Well, we can, we so, can put an asterisk next to, next to this one because sure. I've definitely I've got some asterisks on my. Because people yeah. will say that, that Lady Bird was her directorial debut, but I guess it was that, that was the first one she directed by herself. She's listed as a director on Nights and Weekends. Yes. Um, okay. And I'll take what I can get if that means that I get to shout out some little women. Um, Absolutely. For because sure. That movie I, was it, admittedly, I wanted to throw in Portrait of Lady on Fire beautiful. and and wasn't able to because it's her fourth movie. Yeah. No, but God. God. Little Women. And, Let's and talk you recently women. watched it and was just like, I, you know. Just completely overwhelmed with yeah. how good it was. Missed um, it in the theater at the end of the year, and I honestly had just been waiting for it to drop off of the. I I didn't want to flat out. I mean, in retrospect, I should have just thrown down the twenty bucks and bought it outright as soon as it was available because I will definitely rewatch that movie several more times. Uh, but I was just waiting to rent it just because you know trying to conserve money in in this current pandemic. I'm currently unemployed, by the way, um, so. Yeah, I, I held off, but I, I I wish I hadn't waited as long so you and I could have been talking about this for a while. What an amazing movie. It's so Just good. top to bottom. Yeah. Florence Pugh, Eliza Scanlon, Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet. Ugh. And, uh, yeah, I guess Meryl Streep's in it, too. Um, and she, and Shearsa Ronan, and I, you, you got to at least mention Emily Watson, right? Hey, Emma Watson's in it, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so Emma, excuse me. I, I yeah. always do this to them. Emma Watson. Um, but it's uh incredibly heartfelt. Um it is gotta be one of the best adaptations of, of um those style of books. Um and she puts her own little flavor into it, but it is incredibly watchable and it does not drag a second of that two hour and fifteen minute runtime. I think it's yeah, one of the, no, just uh, like probably my number two of last year, but it's ultimately just amazing. Yes, retroactively, definitely would have been in my top five for last year. I thought it was a flat out ten out of ten. I Absolutely. having like little to no familiarity with the source material, and only kind of knowing vaguely what I had read in in some reviews and some podcast conversations about the nature of her adaptation and the kind of shifting the timelines around a bit bringing in elements of I so I I did look into this a little bit more since you and I last talked so Little Women is specifically the kind of earlier narrative with them as younger girls yes. and then all of the stuff with them aged up seven years is from a completely separate novel correct I'm sure it's essentially the sequel to Little Women with them aged up, but that's that's not covered in the original story, from what I understand. So she merges those two together, and then also brings in elements of Louisa May Alcott's actual life and getting the book published, and she kind of brings that into the Joe character. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but even if you're not aware of all of like just the like holy shit that's super creative and like 
that's what you need to do at this point because how many times have these stories been adapted and like how are you going to bring something fresh and new to it and like you said it just it feels like it has a life to it and a buoyancy it never really slows down the dialogue is universally fantastic performances are great across the board and again a story that I had that would have been repelled by in high school if you told me like you've got to read Little Women just on the basis of like what little cultural knowledge I had about it and then to sit there and be exactly but to (laughs) sit there and be completely enthralled by it the whole time um also leave your toxic masculinity at the door Noah yes and I've told you I have I've still yet to see call me by your name but uh, there's a part of me so that good. wants to just with the the current state of Chalamet and him being cast in everything or wants to be like I don't know if this guy's always cracked up to be he's he's pretty incredible and I I know we're only a few performances deep so far into his career and I haven't seen everything but, but dune even even as I wanted to actively like you know dislike critique him. every decision he made in this movie i was just like this, this kid's a fucking hell of an actor dude so god, god uh, damn it he's, yeah he's really good yeah i'm i'm looking for more and more to dune we just got a giant slew of images released online yeah uh, it's looking looking well, good it's a massive we'll cast well for a movie yeah. that is considered like fine to bad right like typically most people don't have positive feelings on dune it's the least well-regarded Lynch movie. It definitely still has a, a cult following. I, I will stand by, I mean, it's totally worth watching. It is a, a great watch and entertaining movie. But, yeah, it's an acquired taste for sure. Um, I'm sure try some people's patience. And mainly that's that's fans of the book are not fans of the movie. Um, very little crossover Fair. across there. So we'll, we'll see. But, yeah, no, I am still... I'm incredibly surprised after Blade Runner 2049 where they really bet big on Villeneuve and like really bet big on like there's going to be an audience for this. People are going to be dying for the Blade Runner sequel 20 God, years it later. Was so good. <laughs> or 30 years later, excuse me. I would argue um, that 40, uh, 2049 is better I, than Blade I, Runner. I would not disagree with you there uh, at all. But at the same time, that's not a lot of, not like a lot of people saw it. Struck by lightning. I think that's becoming a more and more popular opinion. I think maybe initially people were like, you can't write off. But I, I've always been of the opinion that like Blade Runner is like 60% an incredible, like revolutionary movie. And then 40% that's just like, nah, we, we could re-edit this or like, I just, well, you got to like, smooth out the right, story so you got here. the initial theatrical release and then you've got the director's cut and then you've got the final cut. And then like, and, and it's, it's bits and pieces of everything. If you were to like make a fourth cut, maybe you could piece together. Like, I yeah. think the, like the initial director's cut is considered the, the definitive, the version, definitive or the version. Best version, if you will, because um, yeah, that final cut's so, garbage. But yeah, it's just it's, I mean, it's shrouded I'm, I'm in all of so that. I'm still so shocked that they gave 2049 the budget they did. The like, but it's so good. They, it is and, so and good. I, I agree with you. But bottom line, not a lot of people saw it. So I thought it was even weirder to go like, okay, I'm gonna take what for most people is an even more obscure sci-fi property, even though it has legions of fans of the novel. Okay. But I'm going to take something that's arguably more obscure in the film realm. I'm going to put even more money into it. And the plan is to make three of these. I just, it feels like a huge gamble. And I love Villeneuve, but I I think it's, he's kind, it kind of weirdly has the like Nolan level of carte blanche. 
but not with the payoff so far. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, he does not have like, the, the the bankroll that is matched. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. It. I, so very interested to see how it all plays out. But it is at the moment. I mean, it is the biggest movie of the year in terms of just scale. Well, that's not hard, budget, because... et cetera. <laughs> But I don't if, know if who the, is actually going to show up for this thing if it actually comes out at Christmas. So I'm just saying that's that's what I'm saying is like I you know if uh, if if no other movies come out this year, we're getting you know all the technical awards are going to Bad Boys Three. <laughs> yep. So. And Best Picture goes to Trolls World Tour. We already talked about this. Wendy, um, it will go to Wendy. Yeah, it should. Anyways, and. Uh, I'll mention it on other casts, but never rarely, sometimes, always. That would be my other, like, that's neck and neck with Wendy for Best Picture of the Year so far. Uh, how did we get there? How did we uh, get Chalamet there? from Little Women to Chalamet. That is to, right. To, yeah, to hey, Little Women, good movie. And I guess technically her third feature, yes. So, yeah, that's my number three. I'll let it slide. I'll let it slide. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Okay, my number three. Uh, this gentleman... Maybe I'll mislead you a little bit, but probably not at all. Uh, directed a little movie called Blood Simple in 1984. Directed a movie called Raising Arizona in 1987. And in 1990, Mr. Joel Cohen made... Barton hmm? Fink. Miller's Crossing. You're God, very close. dang it. You're very close. Barton Fink is right Both blind spots on the... Uh... Some blind spots you need to correct, sir. That's all yeah, I'll say. Um, I like the Cohen brothers, but yeah, I missed. All right, okay. Now, granted, Raising Arizona is right before this. Raising Arizona is in my top three Cohen brothers movies. Uh, Miller's Crossing is fantastic and grows on me more and more every time I rewatch it. It's a it's a prohibition era mob war movie. Uh, got Albert Fenney is kind of one of the main mob bosses. Gabriel Byrne is his lieutenant, who may or may not be double-crossing him and having an affair with his girl. It's Marsha Gay Harden. Uh, her brother is mixed up in this as well, played by John Turturro in an unforgettable performance that has been very many, many times. Uh, John Polito is also in here, probably his best work with uh, with the Coens. Um, it's great. It's kind of a... I, Still oddly in kind there, of a of lost course. 90s gangster movie to a lot of people who I feel like just skipped over it. Um, and this one, in the context of their filmography, it to me is kind of where they start to establish we're just our own thing. Like, you can't really pin us down to a genre. Blood Simple is a kind of down-and-dirty, ground-level, small crime caper. Um, Raising Arizona is a wild madcap comedy and then Miller's Crossing is a, a period piece and a gangster movie something you could normally wrap your head around but it just has like a different flavor to it because that's them and then they go right into Barton Fink which is one of the most like unclassifiable movies ever they have a little bit of a dip with Hudsucker Proxy and then it's pretty much gold across the board from there on except for the Lady Killers um, but yeah, I did not so, like Hail Caesar I, I recommend rewatching Hail Caesar. Get gets better. Gets better. I don't, mm. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah. So you said you haven't seen it. I highly recommend it. Just it's got some fantastic dialogue. John Polito kind of steals the show, uh, but it it's good stuff. It's got some iconic sequences in there that you will definitely recognize, having been referenced from from other things. So 
yeah, Miller's Crossing. I don't know if it's readily available anywhere, but go go seek it out. All right, all right. That's your number three. I don't. Again, I don't really have more of a sell on it other than that. Just go it's, go watch it. <laughs> it's a great movie. Nice, yep. little, nice little movie. All right. My number two. All right, so 2008, a little movie called Hunger comes out. Mm-hmm. 2011, a little movie called Shame comes out. Yes, sir. And then 2013, <laughs> Steve McQueen hits us with... 12 Years a Slave. 12 I don't Years know a if, Slave. I got to be honest with you, because yeah, we can... We can bring this up. It was an off-mic conversation. Originally, you and I were kicking around solo movies. Movies starring predominantly one actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because I had that on the brain and I had thought of Hunger with Fassbender, I was like, oh, McQueen, yep, third movie. Definitely the, the strongest of the filmography. But I I would be lying if I said 12 Years a Slave was anywhere near a favorites list of mine. You're not rewatching Consider- this movie on a regular basis. Yeah, exactly. Basis. Considering that it's a it's a Blu-ray that I own and have never watched, because we talked about this, I felt compelled to buy the Blu-ray and support the movie, but I never wanted to see it again after theaters. Like no desire to. Yeah, but if you haven't, it's an important movie to watch. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. And weirdly enough, I. The watchability from Steve McQueen movies isn't always like they're not all f- they're not fun, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no. you're putting yourself in in um, it. They tell phenomenal stories, but you're you know similar to Ari Aster isn't a fun watch. Um, mm-hmm. You know you're putting yourself into some uncomfortable situations, but I think sometimes that's important, and and sometimes you're those are just feelings you got to be able to rumble with. And I think that Twelve Years a Slave is no different. Um, and I think it's yeah, arguably his best movie. Um, phenomenal cast from from top to bottom, and uh, yeah, it's yeah. just uh, one that I think because people don't go back and rewatch it, you you kind of forget it, it's found its way out of the zeitgeist at this point. Um, yes, it came through one Best Picture, won several Academy Awards, and nobody talks about it anymore. Um, and I so. know there there has been kind of long term a little bit of a backlash to the idea that again. That that was a movie that was incredibly well regarded by the Academy and a lot of awards outlets, but it's also a movie that is predominantly about African Americans as slaves and the argument of just like why does it always have to be a slave narrative for us to get like recognition? Why for can't sure. it be for anything? So yeah. I I think that's kind of unfortunately the lasting legacy of that one at at the moment. That's really the only time I ever hear it brought up is in the negative. But at the time, I mean, one of the most powerful theatrical experiences I've, I've ever had. Just a tough sit, top to bottom, but like, as you said, an important one. And most importantly, it gave us Lupita Nyong'o. That's what I was about like, to say. Just what a, what a revelation from the second she steps on screen. And she's continued to have an amazing career. So, Yeah, that's my number and two. And I, I also, at the same, I also want to give credit to Fassbender who at that point was starting to break a little more mainstream mm-hmm. and definitely could have like could have basically started taking on Tom Cruise 90s era roles if he wanted to but instead like continued to kind of push himself here and there now at the same time Fastbender somebody who when I started thinking about Hunger I was like what what happened there like he's kind of what happened to Fastbender man the alien movies Prometheus and uh 
Covenant. Which, again, Prometheus, I remember thinking, like, oh, he's incredible in this. And he is the best part of the most, what was the most recent one? Covenant? Covenant. Yeah, he's the best part of it, like, inarguably. But, I, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, I, he, I was kind a, of, he was in The Snowman, right? That bombed. Yes, um, yes. A movie that I did start because it was on a How Did This Get Made? And I was like, oh, God, this is, like, fun bad? Maybe I should check it out. And literally, like, 15 minutes in, I was like, this is borderline incomprehensible. Like, Boy, this is poorly edited. Little... Yeah. Just, ugh, what a mess. He took a little bit of a break, I think, because when you look at his, uh, he did the Assassin's Creed movie. Mm-hmm. Also um, a bomb. Bombed. Uh, X-Men Apocalypse is considered one of the worst ones. This is all after he did Macbeth and Steve Jobs back in 2015. Um, yeah, and Jobs kind of seems like really the last... Like. The, yeah, it kind of seems like the last Oscar play, if you Frank will. was a fun little watch back in 2014. It's a solid little indie movie. Yeah. Um, but then you get, yeah, Assassin's Creed, Alien Covenant, uh, The Snowman, X-Men Dark Phoenix. So just he's a part of four bombs. Um, and it looks like his next thing, he's got his next goal wins in Kung Fury 2. Um, and then it looks like they're doing a Wild Bunch remake uh, that he's rumored to be a part of. Okay. Uh, but so we're talking 2019 and before that 2017 and so he, maybe he's just not working as much maybe he's just kicking it you know yeah i don't know we'll see we'll see um all right that was my number 2 Stephen queen 12 years a slave yes so, solid pick will not be rewatching it after this podcast but still that's a solid fair. pick that's a fair choice um my number 2 this gentleman gave us Bottle Rocket in 1996, Rushmore in 1998, and in 2001, he gave us... Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Uh, well, it's Wes Anderson, so we know that. Yes. Uh, 2001 was The Royal Tenenbaums. That is correct, sir. Uh, arguably his guess. most mainstream kind of crossover effort ever. Um this was up for like Globes, and I can't remember if Hackman got a Oscar. I don't think he got an Oscar nomination, but it was very well regarded and kind of Rushmore more than anything put him on the map for like love Rushmore a certain generation. But mm-hmm. Tenenbaums is like I can show my mom Tenenbaums without her being familiar with like the the Wes Anderson isms and the tropes and everything. That was the one I could always show somebody in isolation, and like they would pretty much enjoy it because it's got a stacked cast. Um, a narrative that like seems semi-familiar like there's a lot of stories about grand families and like dysfunction etc um but the kind of the storybook quality to it i think would be somewhat off-putting to some people who are like but you don't brush up against it as much as you maybe do in some of his his later work and notably it's it's kind of the end of an era this is the last one that is co-written by frequent collaborator owen wilson and mm-hmm. the first three out of the gate, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, and this are all the three of them together. Wow. And then after this, he goes on to work with Baumbach uh, on Life Aquatic. They do Fantastic Mr. Fox as well. Love and then it. he starts working with Roman Coppola and Jason Schwartzman. They do Darjeeling, Isle of Dogs, etc. Um, so there, and of course, Owen Wilson still is in the movies, etc. But it does feel like there's there's definitely a shift between Tenenbaums and Life Aquatic. I love the, the entire filmography of the man i think he's fantastic i can't wait for the french dispatch but tenenbaums still yeah, do we know what the deal prob- is with that uh no no word on it. they haven't pushed it yet it's still slated for july but obviously that's probably going to get reworked now it's now expected for october is, 16th 
he is of a particular level where I honestly I could see this one hey we're gonna we're gonna put it on streaming for 20 bucks because I think you got enough like every Wes Anderson fan they'll throw down 20 to watch the new one like they will his hardcore fan base will still come out for it I think it is one of the few movies that could potentially make exactly as much as it would have made theatrically if they give people an easy way to watch it at home because I I mean day one I would be purchasing that one I wouldn't be sitting around waiting for it to drop to six bucks or whatever so um, uh, that's, that's what I kind of I. hope they do with it but at I the same time I will never pay $20 to watch a movie once fair enough I've only done it once so far, but technically it was a gift card, so, you know, that wasn't my money. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what they do with it. I'm curious. I But anyways, Tenenbaum still stands as probably my favorite? I, I don't know. I go back and forth. Grand Budapest is up there now. Love Life me some Aquatics, Moonrise. Always, always there, so. Um, yeah, man. But yeah. I, I highly recommend it. It's a good entry point. For, for Anderson in general, if you're not familiar with his work or a fan of him in general. Uh, but yeah. And then, at, like I said, afterwards it goes Life Aquatic, which is arguably like the most Wes Anderson movie ever, honestly. And oh, I feel sure. like he kind of lost. There was there was a certain amount of excitement for that one because, hey, he's coming off of Tenenbaums, Bill Murray in the lead again. Like, everybody's amped for it. It gets delayed. It takes a little long, a little bit of a troubled production. And then it comes out and doesn't really do anything, and mixed reviews from critics. And then it seemed like he was very much like, okay, I'm never, I'm gonna continue to do me. I'm not gonna try and cater to this other audience. And eventually, as kind of happened with the Cohen brothers, people just kind of came around to him. He just kept doing his his own thing, ostensibly. And then eventually, people were just like, oh, these are masterpieces, right? Yep, okay. So, yeah, uh, that was my number two, Royal Tenenbaums from 2001. So, back to you, sir. Yeah, do we want to do uh, honorable mentions real fast before we, we announce our number one? We can definitely do that, as long as you don't step on my, my number one. I'll do my best. Oh. I don't think I will. Okay, I've got a few that are like weird cuspers. Maybe we can talk about the technicalities, if you will. Um, a lot of... When I started trying to push into older directors, because I wanted to like, you know, let's not... Let's try and not keep it all right here in the 90s and 2000s, like I tend to do. Um... But what you realize a lot of times is, like, it took them a little while to get going, or they had, like, three or four small movies you never heard of. Right. But I have, as far as in that category, uh, The Last Picture Show from Mr. Peter Bogdanovich, which, again, is questionable. Targets is his first movie. His second movie he did under a a pseudonym, kind of like an Alan Smithy sort of thing. So, technically, he doesn't take credit for it. So... Last Picture Show is either his third or his second, depending on how you want to view it. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. If you've never seen it, go watch it. Um, in that vein, The King of Marvin Gardens, the the forgotten Bob Rafelson movie that comes right after Five Easy Pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible movie. Jack Nicholson, Bruce Dern, Ellen Burstyn. Great small character study. Um, and yeah, not it's. I mean, Five Easy Pieces is a fucking masterpiece. But King of Marvin Gardens, everybody seems to forget about. It comes out, like, literally the next year, I believe. And that's Bob Ravelson's third movie. Jaws is another one. Depending on how you categorize it, it could technically be Spielberg's third. And if so, it's a hell of a third movie. But, yeah, uh, you know, uh, Duel is technically a probably... TV movie. 
Um, Sugarland Express could be the first or the second. It's however you want to take it. Uh, I've got some other ones on here, but by all means, jump in. Uh, I, uh, Jason Reitman's Up in the Air was one of my uh, honorable Ooh, mentions. Solid, solid pick. Uh, I was just Matt, talking about that movie yesterday, actually. Yeah, one of his best. Oh, That's side note. Best. You want to do a side note right now? Sure. You'll enjoy this. Guess guess what I watched for the first time ever two nights ago? Tell me, Noah. Pitch Perfect. Oh, yeah. What'd you think? It was all right. It's fine. <laughs> it's it was, fine. It was, it was fun enough. Um, I got to tell you, uh, if you go on to watch two and three, they only get worse. Okay, <laughs> that was my thought too. Is I was I saw Reggie Watts was in the second one briefly, and I adore that man. So I was like, "All right, babe, maybe we got to." And she, my girlfriend does as well. So I was like, "Maybe we got to watch the second one." But we were both kind of like midway through the first one, like, "I got, uh, I, I get it." I've, I've, okay, but I do have to bring this up. I'm sorry. So, in the context of that movie, mm-hmm. we're we're supposed to believe that Anna Kendrick as that character. Wrote the song Bulletproof? No. By LaRue? No. She, I know she's remixing. I know she's remixing, okay? But she clearly says at one point when she plays Bulletproof to the the love interest, okay? She says, yeah, that's me singing. And I said, no, it's not. That's LaRue singing. And I was like... Is she trying to say this is a cover that I did of this song that I remixed, or this is an original of mine? No, I, I was think very she's saying confused. it's a cover that she remixed because isn't she singing "Bulletproof in the Shower"? Yes, the David Get the David Guetta remix in the shower. No, she's singing. No, she's singing something else in the. She's singing. Uh, oh God! See, that's the other thing with this movie. Like ninety percent of the songs were like. Yeah, I know these, and I don't like them. So why would I want to hear acapella versions of them? Uh, and I get it. The movie is like it's it's about pop music. I totally understand. But and I do I do love the approach of just like yeah, this is a world where acapella is like the most important thing there is, and nobody's going to address the fact that that is fucking ridiculous. So I saw I saw Pitch Perfect in theaters. Um, and the girl I was hanging out with at the time, the, our choices were Pitch Perfect or Argo. Um, okay. And now I'm not mad about it because I've watched Argo and it's fine and I'm not. Yeah, Argo's but I, but I had But I fine. hadn't seen it and I, being a, a Ben Affleck fan of uh, uh, previous works. And you're coming um, you're coming off of the town. So I was incredibly so saying, in for that one as well. Gone Baby Gone and then the town. So Argo being his third one, there's a reason Ben Affleck's not on my list because um, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's one of his <laughs> worst ones. Um, yes. But at the time, I was like, our choices are Argo or Pitch Perfect. She's like, I really want to see Pitch Perfect. And I was like, ah, mm, okay. <laughs> and then the moment where the girl vomits off the stage, I just looked at her and I was like, "This, we made the wrong choice. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, turns out yeah, I, either one would have been not a great choice. People loved Argo. I don't get it, man. I don't get why that was the one that took off for him. Um, I think definitely more of a crowd pleaser than the previous two movies. A little more easily digestible. Gone Baby Gone is still like such a gut punch of a movie. Oh, but it's so um, good. Like it is so good. Yeah, um, but the I mean, town, I think it was the town that. Is like I think your it, version. It's not The Departed, but like it's right it's there in that Heat. same vein. It's Boston Heat, except the cop character is not that interesting. And I say that being a huge John Hamm fan who is consistently disappointed when. He, just, he hasn't been able to appropriately transition into movies, unfortunately. 
Yeah, but he's in the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and that's great. And he's he's fun in there. I get, I get love that man that he, in more comedies. He, here's the thing: I love that he loves doing comedy. I I don't him want him to his... do comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see him as his as his drum, dramatic self. I um, again, I say that as like I'm a fan of the dude in general, but I I need the validation that it wasn't a one off like magic trick. That it wasn't just the perfect synergy of that character on Mad Men and that period of time, and he was just made for the role. Because I know there's a great actor there. I just feel like nobody has given him the appropriate chance afterwards to do it. You could say the same thing about Cranston. Somebody who, like, reinvented himself on television and got a lot of film work afterwards. He's in Argo, right? (laughs) Yeah, he's uh, yeah, and then yeah. Uh, Trumbull and uh, you and know. he did get an Oscar nomination for that. I don't yep. really understand why, but Wine- yeah, but Winding Refn gave him a job. That's for sure. Yeah, killed it, killed it, and I mean that's my that's my favorite like Cranston on screen that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean he has great bit parts all over the place, but anyways. Um, okay. and then sorry, uh, other honorable mentions. Um, oh yeah, I still have some of those too. Yeah, uh, Matt <laughs> Vaughn, Matthew Vaughn, uh, for Kickass. Um, is that technically what are his what are his first two layer cake and stardust I forgot about stardust Which I was is gonna like say so I thought it's like, it's not, it's, that, that's like that's probably his I, golden circle wasn't amazing but like Kingsman um, X-Men first class kick-ass I mean the dudes made some some stellar flicks yes um, but kick-ass being one of his best ones um, especially with uh, the thriving comic book realm of superhero movies. Um, yeah, he's pretty much just anti give me ones any out there. Mark great. book, and I'll I'll do it. Yeah, and then um, uh, Matt Reeves for Let Me In was my last one. Solid pick as well. Forgot about that one. Uh, cannot wait for the Batman. We've we briefly talked about it here, but yeah, that, Matt Reeves has pretty much an unbroken track record for me. Um, what do we got? We got Cloverfield. I mean, we got two apes movies, and uh, yeah, anything else sneak let in? Let me there? in. So let me in. Let me in, of course. Uh, War and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Cloverfield, and then he did a couple episodes of Felicity, what and um, he had like the, the Paul the Paul Bearer, let me in. Uh, Cloverfield. So the Paul Bearer Cloverfield. Paul Bearer was first. Excuse me. Yep, and then let me in. And the Paul so. Bearer is like back in the nineties, right? Yeah, ninety six. And then he takes. Yeah, that's right. Okay. With uh, okay. uh, David Schwimmer and Gwyneth Paltrow, how could we forget? Yeah, that that um, that old chestnut. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. If <laughs> we don't talk about that, I got movie. a few more here. I briefly mentioned Jackie Brown, of course. Uh, my favorite Tarantino movie happens to be his third. Uh, Halloween. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. It's another weird one. That's like he did. So, uh, someone's watching me, which is a TV movie, which was the same year, and I think chronologically actually comes out like a week or two before Halloween comes out in the theater or something. It's weird, but ostensibly it's the third Carpenter feature. Um, Incredible, iconic. We've done many, many podcasts about Halloween 78. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, the third feature from Mr. Tony Scott. There you go. You like Tony more than Tony Scott movies recently. Uh, Evil Dead 2, another weird one. Technically evil... Let's quickly talk uh, Sam Raimi getting the um, Doctor Strange sequel. 
and could, I'm I, all I literally for it. could not think of a better like I thought Scott Derrickson did a solid job with the first one. I really, yeah. really liked it for a character really? that I know nothing about. Yeah. Um but you wanna talk about an upgrade. My God, I cannot think of a better person than Sam Raimi. If there like, is not a talking demon goat at some dude, point, dude, I, I this... just the the idea that he has basically a completely untethered like imagination and budget for this movie is so exciting to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can't goat. wait to see what talking what he does with it, and goat. I I feel like this is truly going to be one of those cases where it's like we always talk about the war of like the individual working within the Marvel universe and like how much individuality and like director flourishes you can really bring to it. I mean, we never, we never got it's inarguable. Right man. Well, you that's what I'm saying, would, but no this is inarguable. He is the most successful and well-regarded director to step into the MCU. Like, think about it for a no, second. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I mean, we love Taika, etc. But I'm just saying the the career, the body of work, the fact that like even though he's had several misses over the years, everybody loves Sam Raimi. When's the last time you heard somebody like, "Oh, that guy sucks. Oh, that guy's terrible. What an asshole." Never hear an unkind word about him. Seems like a stand-up dude. Uh, I mean, he was an advocate for comic book movies before they were what they are now. I cannot wait to and see made some of the best what ones. he does with this. Yeah. Two of them, anyways. We don't have to talk about the third one, which I don't blame him for. I don't, because by all accounts, that was just a studio, you know, fuck fest, essentially. A giant clusterfuck of, you gotta include all of these things, and you gotta, we gotta make sure you have this element. And he's like, well, I don't really wanna do that story. And they're like, well, you need to, because we gotta sell more action figures or When's whatever. he coming out with another For the Love of the Game? When's, when's the next Sam Raimi sports or, movie? Or A Simple Plan? The two great, like, forgotten Sam Raimi movies? Yeah. Oh, they're um, definitely I mean, forgotten. For love of the game, a little less so. That's a, a fun, problematic one um, that has a lot of issues, but I love it nonetheless. Uh, but Simple Plan is an incredible thriller. It's like a Coen Brothers movie on acid, essentially. I can't, I can't um, believe his last theatrical release was Oz the Great and Powerful, which, like, I didn't which hate. Which I did not see. I didn't hate it. Um... But yeah, when you have Spider-Man 3, Drag Me to Hell, Oz the Great and Powerful, and Drag Me to Hell is unimpeachable, dude. You can't convince me otherwise. Yeah, um, I still wish we just got one of those from him like every couple years, but it is what it is. Um, but anyways, I say there's an asterisk next to this one because technically Evil Dead is not his debut. He does have a feature from 77, which is feature length, never properly released. Um, so count it if you want to. If not... Evil Dead is the original Crime Wave, which is written by the Coen brothers, which I still have never been able to track down. Um, that would technically be his second feature, and then we, we can say Evil Dead 2, which is one of the greatest horror sequels of all time, and unequivocally gotta, one of the three best horror comedies ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick. Can I go back to work now? I, I went, with, <laughs> went with kind of a new one. Uh, to keep it high fidelity centric, uh, John Wick Chapter Three Parabellum. It's the third film for Mr. Ch- Chad Stahelski. The yeah. first two are the first two John Wicks, and yeah, dude's it, doing pretty good so far. <laughs> hey, he's three for three in my book. A <laughs> hundred, absolutely, dude. Uh, and the last one I had on here, another weird. You know, if you start in the in the sixties or seventies, things get complicated. 
uh, Mean Streets from Scorsese. He's yes. got two feature-length documentaries that predate this as well, along with uh, Who's That Knocking at My Door and Boxcar Bertha. So, if depending on how you count it, but if you want to look at it as his third movie where he establishes, like, this is a particular track of my career that I will always return to, the kind of grounded gangster movie, and this is the birthplace of it, it's worth mentioning. But again, technically, it's not really his third movie. Um, okay, that's that's all I had for honorable mentions. Any more you wanted to throw out there? No, those are all the honorable mentions I have. Okay, well, I am extremely happy about my number one, so you give me yours. <laughs> yeah, I feel good about it. Now, this is one where you can tell me that I'm wrong. Okay. So I'm going to go with Hot Fuzz from Edgar Wright. I uh, mean, I can't... And you're going to say, how, hey... How are you going to argue it? You're going to say <laughs> Fistful of Dollars might be his first movie. And I'll go, all right, cool, I'll concede that. Fuck you, Scott Pilgrim versus the world then. And that, either I mean, that's way, all, that's I all I was going to. That's all I was going to suggest. And the only reason that I left Scott Pilgrim off the list is because I was hoping that it was going to be your number one. Oh, so, it's right there. Yeah, either one. Let's Hot just Fuzz, say it's Scott Pilgrim. Hot Fuzz and Scott Pilgrim versus the World double feature. Um, the dude. You, uh, that's my. I'm sorry one. if you misspoke. Is it fistful of dynamite? It's fistful of dollars. Or fistful just of straight fingers, up fistful. Sorry. Fistful of fistful fingers. Of fingers. Okay. Making, I was going to say uh, fistful of dollars is definitely Sir of a fistful of dollars. Um, right, but it uh, it got a, it got a release, um, but like not in a way that's meaningful. In like one theater in England yeah. on his and street or something. So most yeah. people consider Shaun of the Dead to be his first film. Fine, mm-hmm. that would give Scott Pilgrim versus the World his third film, um, which you know you know I love that movie. Well, and um, I think if you if we do go with the conceit that that is the third, it's him stepping out of you know what his you thought was going to be his groove yeah. essentially and like his his crew if you will and going american so to speak even though it's kind of canadian um a lot of canadians in the cast it is set in canada of course as well but um yeah such a departure from the previous ones but still 100% like nobody else could have made that movie you can see the progression from Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz to that movie but and at at the same time like kind of wish we had gotten three or four more exactly like it but yeah i love this kind of happens with things that are way ahead of their time and i gotta tell you if if for whatever reason this is gonna sound incredibly insensitive and i don't mean it to at all but if i do not get to see last night in soho this year because (laughs) of the tragedy i will find that virus and i will kill it I will spend I will spend years going to school, um, just out of the pure hate that I had to wait longer than than that. Um, yes, clearly that is not a real tragedy, and clearly that is not what is most important at this time being. Yes. But I would still we just to see this movie this oh, year, 100%. and we'll be very it's, bummed if I have to wait longer. It's up there. Gavin and I did our most anticipated list, and I I can't remember if I put it on because it has no trailer yet. I think I may have bumped it down a little bit, but I think it was still in my top. Top five. Yeah, it's considered post production, but there's not a it does not have a release date. Yeah. That um, I can see. But yes, but Scott Pilgrim versus I, the I'll World. save this and we don't, I need, won't, to, we don't I need to talk about it more. It's just it's 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 great. Yeah. It's great. I was gonna say, I'll save this and I won't I won't shout it out in detail here, 
but because uh, this is very Gavin centric, of course. But for anybody who's curious about Chuck Hank and the San Diego Twins, the latest Coat Wolf Productions movie, I do actually have new information because they've started updating their Patreon again in the midst of quarantine, Ooh. and there is some movement on that movie. Um, we'll discuss what we know um, on a future episode. But anyways, that just occurred to me. Tease that for people. Okay, my number one. Your number one. Go ahead, my man. This gentleman made a little movie called Say Anything in 1989. He followed it up with a movie called Singles from the early 90s. I forget if it's 91 or 92. And and then uh, he gives us gives us this movie in 1996. What is it? Well, you're talking about Cameron Crowe. Yes, I am. And there's a, the reason that I did not pick this movie. Um, Why? <laughs> Dear cause, God, why? Because I have I, Jerry Maguire, correct? Yes. Yeah, I didn't want that. I, that wasn't my number one. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, it's not well, on that. Because I think Almost Famous is his, his peak. Well, that's... That's what I was going to say. He goes on to make my favorite movie of all time. But yeah. in the context of his career, that was very anticlimactic. I just, I just took all the air out of your balloon, so I apologize for that. No, you're to- you're totally fine. I, I thought you were going to tell me, like, I hate Jerry Maguire, and I was going to be like, well, I don't think we can record podcasts together No, anymore. but I would argue <laughs> that Almost Famous and Vanilla Sky, I like those better. So that um, was the reason I did not pick Cameron Crowe. Fair enough. Let me let me advocate if I can. For Though I Clark. love so, We Bought a Zoo. and <laughs> Underrated movie, man. People no, like not. to make fun of the title. It's not bad. It's yeah, not but then bad. he goes up and follows it up with Aloha. Um, I don't want to talk about Aloha. <laughs> neither does anyone associated with that movie. Oh, man. Ugh. <laughs> You ought to talk about just having your dreams. Like, I'm a, a guy I'm always rooting for. I always am just like, this is going like, to be the one, man. He's going to get the magic back. And that is the epitome of, like, the magic is gone. The magic is gone. It's just somebody <laughs> flailing to recapture what they once had and failing at every turn. It, it is a parody of a Cameron Crowe movie. It is, ugh, it's rough. a bunch of white people hanging out in Hawaii. Yep. <laughs> it sure is. And again, you tell me that cast. I thought I thought we had a gold mine on our hands. Didn't happen. Whatever. No. Okay. Getting back to this though, say anything, he comes out of the gate strong as a as a writer director. Of course he wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He had a little bit of awareness, but say anything really put him on the map. Singles is like a nostalgia movie for some people, but it's not particularly great. It has a few memorable moments, and even at the time, it, it did okay, all right? But Jerry Maguire's a multiple Oscar nominee. It's a huge hit. It's a crowd-pleaser. It's an R-rated crowd-pleaser, which I feel like just doesn't exist anymore. And movies of this ilk really don't exist anymore. Just the kind of, like... there. It's not even quite a dramedy. I mean, there is drama, but it's very, very funny. Um... It's got one of the all-time movie star performances from Cruz, like one of his five best. Most people's introduction to Renee Zellweger, who's incredible. The best Cuba's ever been. Um, he won an Oscar for it, deservedly so. And I, again, I don't know. Man, I am, what is it, Man of Honor? <laughs> Cookie? Not, that one? With yeah. him and De Niro? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
he's got to go piece together. They try to they try to make sure he can't join the Navy, and he says no. Nah, Never saw He's going to be a diver, man. I did watch him box in Pearl Harbor, though. I did watch that. Um, but yes, okay, so he goes on to Almost Famous, which is unequivocally my favorite, and I would say even more rewatchable, but... Jerry Maguire in recent years for me, I watch this movie like two or three times a year and it is a total cable movie as well where if it is on TNT or TBS and I come across it, it's going to stay on for the next two to three hours because it takes forever for them to show this movie because it's over two hours long and there's a lot of ads. But it's incredibly rewatchable. You can pick it up at pretty much any point. The dialogue's fantastic throughout. Great, like genuine chemistry between all of the performers and I just, I literally never get tired of watching it. I think this run in particular of McGuire, Almost Famous, and Vanilla Sky is incredible. Now, people don't like Vanilla Sky, and I totally understand that as well. But at least, at the very least, the one-two punch of Jerry Maguire and Almost Famous, even though they come five years apart, you'd be lucky if you had a career that had two movies of that caliber that close together. So... Um, he's one of my favorite filmmakers still, even though he has pretty much disappeared off the face of the planet, um, except for a few documentaries here and there, and uh, the occasional failed attempt at a TV show. I'm still rooting for you, bud, um, but if, if you're done and you want to hang it up, you still gave me my favorite movie ever, and uh, and a couple other good ones as well. So Don't, don't forget that Jerry uh, Maguire gives you Jonathan Lipnicki. Still, unequ- my girlfriend had never seen the movie before. She's not a huge fan of kids in general, <laughs> um, or like kid performances she or kid like, centric uh, things. Uh, people under the age of twelve really find. Yeah, she's obnoxious. got a real bias against anybody uh, below uh, four foot. Uh, but if you no, can't seriously. ride a roller coaster, she's got no time for you. I say exactly. Uh, I say all of this to say she was completely enamored and entranced by Jonathan Lipnicki. She was immediately just like his head. His head and his body, it doesn't make sense. That's the cutest thing I've ever seen, like, in my entire life. And Wait that's before he even opens up his mouth. little vampire. Like, yes. Um, yeah, iconic child performance. Uh, probably the most charming Cruise has ever been. And just, I love it, man. It's just, it's a great rewatchable movie. And one, again, it is rated R, but it's one of those that I'm like... It's kind of for everybody. It's got a little bit for for everybody in there. Not really a family movie necessarily. No. But like once you're over the age of 13, I think you're you're good with this one and you'll probably be watching it, you know, from that point forward. Uh Yeah, Jerry Maguire. It's my number one junior effort third film, whatever the hell we're going to call this episode. I think we're going to call it Third Times the Charm the director edition. I don't know. Yeah, that's great. That's what a what a what a clever title. Go with that. Run with that. I, I can't tell. Is that sarcasm? No, that's voice. that's no. <laughs> I think sometimes I'm genuinely like nice, and people don't expect it, and um, right, and they think I'm kidding, and I'm like, no, I'm I'm very I'm very genuine. I think that's a great title. Thank you. Well, you'll see what it is when you're listening to this episode. Um, thanks, man. You got anything else you want to chat about? <laughs> oh man. No, I'll just I just uh, need to go watch some stuff. I need to I need to catch up on devs. A hundred percent. That that would be my number one recommendation right now, as far as TV for anybody. Um, if if you're not a fan of sci-fi, it's probably going to be a really tough sell. If you're not a a fan of like grounded, thought-provoking, like deep, deep thinking sci-fi, probably not for you. But 
I, I, I don't know if I've seen a better show so far this year. So I will say if you're that. looking for some, uh, some music to, uh, to end this episode with, I've been, Oh, digging, by all uh, means. Yes. Cause we didn't really do a transition. So I've been, yeah. uh, I've been We're, digging, uh, Sammy Ray and friends. Um, okay. And, uh, I was supposed to go see them at the end of this month. Uh, of course that was, uh, postponed yeah. Bef- um, before but, uh, the world she, was but she just came out with a new single called whatever we feel uh and it's okay. a ditty it's a ditty all right well we'll roll out with that for sure uh thank you once again to mr sunshine mayfield for joining us and uh i guess if you guys have any particular like top five suggestions we'd, we've just been kicking around a bunch of random ones we were kind of trying to steer away from like stuff that's gonna just remind you of coronavirus the whole the whole time not everything has to be centered around that a lot of people are probably looking for an escape so if you want more of that let us know if you want us to do some quarantine more quarantine themed episodes than we've already done uh let us know the archive at gmail.com you can shout at us on instagram at the archive network on twitter at the archive uh sunshine will chat with you there i'll be over on instagram and if you want to go talk to gavin on the facebook you can attempt to but i don't know if he's doing anything with it uh and you can just search the archive network there uh okay so definitely let us know if you have any ideas for future episodes i will be back here soon with somebody or maybe a solo review i'm not sure and i'm sure we'll be hearing from mr mayfield very soon uh, excuse me before we go you guys are coming up uh on the end of season two of a little show correct uh, yeah bending not breaking our avatar the last airbender podcast is about to wrap season two um and we've already started recording season three um and so uh, that should hopefully be out sometime this summer. Uh, but yeah, uh, so go like us on BNB underscore pod on Instagram and Twitter. Absolutely. Uh, I look forward to the finale and I, I also love that you guys are coming back sooner rather than later. So, um, good time for anybody to jump on. If you have not, again, still not streaming anywhere, but if you can get an Amazon order to yourself, um, maybe you pick up the cheap Blu-ray. That would be a good idea. Or uh, I don't know. So uh, I think that's going to do it for us here at the Arc of E podcast. I have been Noah. I've been Alex. And we thank you for listening. Until next time, stay safe, stay smart, and stay tuned. I've been wearing my hoops. I've been wearing my big old silver hoops. I've been walking around the house in them, babe. I've been chilling on the couch in them. I'm accenting with socks. I'm accenting with pride thicker than socks. I've been putting a show on for me, babe. I'm the only one who knows it. It's whatever we feel. It's whatever we wanna do. It's whatever we feel. Whatever we wanna do. It's whatever we feel. It's whatever we wanna do. It's whatever we feel. Whatever we wanna do. It's the thing I wanna do. It's the thing I wanna do. I'm doing it. It's just the thing I wanna do, it's the thing I wanna hit the band. I've been closing up shop, and I've been winning when they say that I would not die. I've been standing up to all of them, babe. I've been answering on call for them. I quit playing them games. You can address me by all three of my names, cause I'm getting official about it.